Hey mamas, and welcome back to the Nurturing Parent Podcast. Today for episode number 89, we have an amazing guest. Join us and share with us the number one way we can prepare our toddlers for school. Do you want to know what the secret is? It's open-ended play. And if you don't know what that even means, don't worry. In this episode, we are going to get into what is it and how we can provide this for our littles. So let's get into it. Hey, Mama. Welcome to the Nurturing Parent Podcast. Do you want to end the constant battles for bath time? Do you find yourself emotionally exhausted at the end of the day? Do you wake up with big hopes for a smooth day of fun with your little ones, only to face an early morning meltdown because you peeled their banana the wrong way? Silly you. Silly you. (laughs) Hey, I'm Serena. I'm a mama of two little ones. And as a new mama, I constantly question myself. I wanted to make sure I was raising respectful kids while also building a strong bond with them. But I discovered that I had to unlearn my ideas that punishment was the way. With Amelisa's encouragement, I've been practicing a respectful and gentle parenting approach, which is strengthening our bond as a family. And hi, I'm Amelisa. Amma means grandmother in Icelandic. I am a mama and an amma. And I have over 40 years of experience in child care and parent coaching. And I am so excited to share the knowledge I've gained over these years with you. Together in this podcast, each week, we will explore some easy to implement skills you can add to your parenting tool belt to help you create a happy, thriving family. Today, we are excited to introduce you to our next guest on the podcast. Melissa Ullman Roberg is coming to us from North Carolina. Melissa grew up in a highly artistic family. She studied visual art, music, and theater, and earned her MFA from Florida State University. Once she started raising a family, Melissa founded the Community Arts Project, a nonprofit offering opportunities for parents, children, and families to create together as a means of growing strong, healthy relationships. Melissa likes to support parents in understanding the positive benefits of high levels of unstructured, open-ended, curious, and creative play particularly in the first five years. Rather than assuming our children should fit some readiness mold, she helps parents see how taking time to really see your kids can set them up for success as they enter formal education and even success for life. Melissa calls herself a creative instigator because for her, the process of creating, especially in collaboration with others, is far more enriching than the product. Welcome, Melissa, and thank you so much for joining us on our show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) We're super excited as we were preparing for this. Um, It's in the wheelhouse that I've stood in for many, many, many years. And it's something kind of new, some new concepts for Serena, I think, right, Serena? Yes. And it was so exciting to see you as a young mama kind of come alive, even in preparation for this. So thank you, Melissa. We're really looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you. So I want to start off by saying here at The Nurturing Parent, we are all about growing strong, healthy relationships. And as you mentioned in your bio, you love offering opportunities for families to create together as a means of growing strong, healthy relationships based on curiosity, open-ended play, 
mutual respect and creative connection. I mean, that just sounds divine to me. (laughs) (laughs) And there's so much in here. The Mm -hmm. first piece that we really would love you to unpack for us is the whole concept of open-ended play and also touch on process-oriented art. Can you explain to our listeners what open-ended play even is? Sure, sure. So um, to backtrack just a little bit, as I've been studying over the years, and I am a, currently a high school theater arts teacher and have been for many, many years, um, and the biggest thing that really concerns me in our teenagers today is they have forgotten how to be curious Um, And so even before creativity, there has to be curiosity. Um, And when you stop being curious, when you just accept everything that's told to you, when you just, you know, blindly take the notes and then regurgitate them on the test, um, that's when I start to get really, really worried. And I see it in our kids today in a huge way. So Mm -hmm. open-ended play is one of the best ways that I know of to foster curiosity in kids and to give them a really strong underpinning um, in that area. Open-ended just simply means it doesn't have any specific um, goal in mind. So for instance, it's not about learning our alphabet. It's not about learning numbers or colors. It's not about Mm -hmm. um, having any specific product at the end. It's simply allowing your kids to lead the way and play. Sometimes Mm -hmm. It takes a creative turn, you know, because that's my whole background. So quite often it it was in our art room, but open-ended play can be outside. It can be scientific. It can be make-believe. It can be any number of things. Um, and it can incorporate things that you're doing already. For instance, um, I have such vivid memories years ago of, you know, fall comes around in North Carolina and the leaves are all beautiful and then they all fall in your yard. And so now you have to do something with that. Mm -hmm. And so as I was raking leaves, we would always take time to jump in the leaves. We would always take time to throw them up in the air and see which one was going to fall to the ground first. Or we would see who could find the smallest or the biggest or, um, we would look for shapes within them. We have a tree that um, I don't know the kind of tree, but the leaves look like cat cat heads with little pointy ears. And so, <laughs> um, you know, we would see what else they look like. And those were kinds of things that I would just pose very casually, um, you know, initially so that I could keep breaking the leaves, you know. Um, <laughs> so it would be, hey, let's see, you know, why don't you go and see how many you can find that are the same size as this one for me and then bring them back to me. So that seems like, you know, just a simple little, you know, activity. But when you really look at it, they're looking at color, they're looking at shape, they're differentiating size, they're following through on something. Um, and and that's all just just to clarify for mm-hmm. our listeners, those mm-hmm. size and clarification and uh, specific differences and samenesses, that's all in the realm of science. It is. That's what I love to bring to our listeners who have a lot of our listeners have toddlers, preschoolers, (laughs) younger children. And so, you know, what I like to let them know is when they're quote unquote, just playing in the leaves, there's so much learning going on. 
texture and color and size and shape and matching and differences, all those things, right? So mm -hmm. I just want to point that out because it's yeah, um, absolutely. There's so yeah. much learning going on. Yeah. Right. And you really don't have to do anything. Like, no, you don't exactly. have to say, we're going to go play in leaves today and my child's going to learn all about matching. Um, because now you've created a closed end, if you can see. Now you're going out there to learn about matching. You're not just going out there to enjoy the day and enjoy the leaves. Um, okay, so wait, stop, stop. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I will jump in because I really like to clarify it for our listeners. So I'm sorry about that. But that difference that you differentiated right there for us, the mm -hmm. stop, the, the closed ended play rather yep. than the open-ended play. Closed-ended is I, the adult, have an idea of what we're going to get out of this in mind, mm -hmm. right? Yep. That's mm -hmm. what I heard you say. Yep. Open-ended is we're going to go out and play in the leaves. And in my yep. adult brain, I know that you, child, I'm not going to say any of this, but in my brain, I know that you're going to learn about colors and shapes and yep. sizes and same and all that stuff, right? And so yeah. being quiet about it and just letting them play, that's the open-ended part, right? Absolutely. Yes, yes. And posing questions, making casual observations, um, listening to the questions they have, you know, um, Every creative act started somewhere with a question. So, mm -hmm. you know, when a child says, um, hey, mom, uh, why does this tree have those things that come down like this? You know, um, you can always say, gosh, you know what? I don't really know. Why don't you go do some investigating? See what you can find out and come back and report to me. Mm -hmm. um, and they may on their own realize, oh, this tree has leaves and it has these little things here. Let me open one. Oh, is this a seed? I think it's a seed. Maybe that's how the tree grows. And so they start to make inferences yes. on their own. And those inferences are really, 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 really critical to, I hesitate to use the word survival, but it's really survival in most public school systems. Um, I would also venture to say open-ended play over the long haul, so over those first five or more years, is the best readiness tool for kindergarten that you can possibly have. Yes. Um, I raised three, you know, three <laughs> girls. I raised three girls. They are um, three, four, five, six years apart. And I watched public school change radically in those six years, you know, in terms of what they were asking for, for readiness. Um, I never sat down and said, we're going to learn our colors today. I never sat down and said, we're going to learn the alphabet today. I never sat down and said, we're going to learn how to read. And yet all of my kids went into kindergarten, knowing their colors, knowing their numbers, understanding basic numeric concept, how to count. All of them were aware of words on a page and could read some very simple words. Um, and most importantly, they were curious. They asked really great questions. Um, and that, I have a you know, go ahead. I have a question for you in that. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that those were child-led interests. Like they yes. came to you and wanted to pursue what does that word say or that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we read really good books. We chose really good books. 
we typically would not buy a book if it said, let's learn our numbers. We instead would go toward a book that was very number rich within the text. Um, and so things like counting the numbers of whatever on a page just came very naturally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We also did things like, um, so my husband's very carefree also, you know, but when we would go, say, out to dinner at a restaurant and, um, you know, you're having to wait for your food, you know, rather than handing them a video game or handing them whatever, um, we might flip the placemat over. And my husband, Kevin, is always like, OK, so where does the story start today? And one of them would say, inevitably, it was always about a deer and the deer was hiding behind a tree and eventually something burned down. So it was like sort of it got to be. Um, like a detective um, exploration to see how they were going to like weave those three elements in, but it would be like, Oh, there's a deer. So he'd draw a deer. Um, and then he might say, well, where's the deer going? And somebody might say to the supermarket and then he would draw the front of the supermarket. And um, what's, what is he, you know, why is he going to the supermarket? And so the girls would develop this story. So they were learning about storytelling without us beginning, middle end, you know, um, without us ever having to label it that way. Um, they were learning about drawing. They were collaborating, the three of them. They were using their brains. They were using their verbal language. All of that on the back of a placemat with a crayon or a pencil or whatever we had around, you know. Um, so I guess my biggest counsel would be don't sweat it. Don't worry so much. They're going to get there. They're absolutely going to get there. Not all biscuits bake at the same time, so they're not all going to get there at exactly the same time, but they will get there. Um, and if you choose your materials well, you know, high quality, high quality, open ended play materials like blocks, crayons and paper, not necessarily even coloring books, because a coloring book is a closed ended activity, <laughs> right? Because there's yeah. a picture and you're expected to color the picture, right? So instead- We had, just, we had a big book. conversation about coloring books after we prepped mm -hmm. for today. <laughs> mm -hmm. I yeah, mean, I'm not they saying are. they're bad overall. I actually do not recommend them for preschoolers and toddlers. Mm -hmm. I do not recommend them right. because there is a right and a wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. There is a place you're supposed to draw and even a color you're supposed to draw. Right. And so ahead, I would Sweden. just like to add one thing that I appreciate about just learning this is the freedom and the relief that it comes because when we do go for an alphabet book, which I do have one, that's A, B, C, <laughs> and my daughter will pick it out sometimes, but it mm -hmm. just leads to frustration because I want to go through A and I want to read all the words that start with a and she's like gone to the next one and I'm like but we're working on a right now and mm. <laughs> like when when we do try to have that structured learning it just puts a pressure on us as parents and it leads to frustration when our kids tone out of it they're like mm -hmm. yes they they don't understand it like my daughter literally when we sit to try to practice or learn something she's in another world Yes. yes she's only just turned three yeah she's yes. peace out she's peace yeah. out you know it's like so yeah. melissa i was gonna say too when you were saying they will get it they will learn these things i want to point out that 
when we try to teach them, just like Serena is giving this real life example, when we sit down with an alphabet book or a letter book or a numbers, um, a numbers puzzle mm-hmm. or something that we're trying to get them to learn something, even casually, I think that, and I see it in the world, that we are hindering their learning. We are not supporting it. People might argue with me and say, oh, but my child could, you know, say the alphabet when they were whatever age. And that's not necessarily that they've got the concept of those Mm -hmm. letters and that they're excited about the letters and they're excited about learning to read. And so Mm -hmm. can you speak to us a little bit about how, you know, when we have the closed ended activities, um, how it can actually become more of a detriment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. First of all, as Serena has identified, it can become a push me, pull you, mm-hmm. which, you know, you don't necessarily want. You know, you could um, just kind of pique her curiosity if there's a letter that she's really interested in one day for whatever reason, then when you're out and about, you can just casually notice that letter. Hey, look at that big sign. Isn't that that letter B that we were looking at yesterday? Or... Or even better, hey, look at that big sign. And hopefully she'll say, that's a B, like yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know, eventually she will. The other thing is you are sort of spinning your wheels a little bit. Because if they're not ready, they're not ready. So it might take a three-year-old, I don't know, I'm sure there are scientific facts on this. So this is not factual at all. I'm just pulling these numbers. But it might take a three-year-old. 20 hours to learn the concept of the alphabet and letters. It might take a seven-year-old an hour because they're ready. They have other skills before that. They're already interested in symbols and what they mean. And so, you know, before you can understand the alphabet, you have to understand that this symbol means something specific. Mm. You know, a better, a better way would be to look at, um, you know, casually, looking at name recognition, like, you know, can they, without forcing them to spell their name, when they see their name, do they recognize it? Or yeah. when they see a number I, three, are they making any connection to the fact that that correlates to three items? So, right. well, yeah, I mean, any, well, uh, parents would sometimes say to me as well, oh, but my daughter, and I'd be like, well, just because they can doesn't mean they should, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. We had a time down here in North Carolina when we started giving spelling tests to our kindergartners. And oh, gosh. I just, I just flatly refused. I oh. said to the teacher, I'm sorry, my daughter's not going to take a spelling test. That hurts my heart. Exactly. That just hurts my heart. Yeah. The and so pressure on those little yes. children is ridiculous. Yes. And one of the parents said to me, well, well, I mean, why shouldn't we take spelling tests? My daughter can spell all those words. And I said, my daughter can spell them all, too, but she shouldn't have to at this age. So, uh, again, anytime you go into it with your agenda, chances are mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not going to end well, mm-hmm. as we often know. Better to wait I would the love and then run through it with your child, you know, yeah, um, that's nice. because when they're, I mean, we all know this. <laughs> like, if you think about yourself, if you have to learn something like, oh, my God, I have to study for the whatever. It's so much more arduous than if you are just curious one day and you know you're you're looking around and you're reading and you're like oh my god I never knew that like I don't know this is a kind of a silly thing but yesterday I learned that opossums are marsupials which that I knew 
But what I didn't know is that when their babies are born, their eyes are not developed, but also their back legs, they have no back legs. And so they drag themselves from being born into the pouch, you know, and they're there for three months. And during that three months is when the rest of their body develops outside. Of wow. The yeah. So wow. I was just like, and so now I'm reading all about opossums and this and that, because it's, you know, it was something that piqued my curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity, yes. curiosity, curiosity. I had something on the weekend. I was staying mm-hmm. with my stepmom. She lives by the water and I watched the sunrise. And when I was at her house in January, the sun rose kind of directly in front of her house. Mm-hmm. This weekend, it rose way over the air up in the north and I was like why is the sun rising in the north and I had to look it up and I <laughs> really I know that we turn and the axis and all the stuff but I had to look it up and I discovered that you know um at the equinox it rises due east 90 degrees and at the solstice it rises at no it like um I don't know almost north mm-hmm. it's incredible to me that I didn't really realize that before, but it suddenly, I was so curious. I love that, Melissa. It was the curiosity. I was like, wait, why is the sun rising way over there? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) coming, coming back to that idea of curiosity, I really do believe that that is the most important life skill we can build in our children as they're preparing for school. Um, Mm. But then you also have to kind of continue to nurture that, because if you think about it, kindergarten, usually great. Lots of curious play. Right. First grade, second grade. Then we hit third grade. Oh, it's our first set of here in North Carolina. At least it's our first set of standardized tests happen in third grade. Oh, Even the teachers are getting it. It's nothing they do consciously. It's not like, oh, third grade, da, da, da. But they have in the back of their mind that we have to pass these tests at the end of the year. And so there are little subtle shifts, less Mm. creative play, more, you know, fact-based activities um, and more black and white. And so kids start to learn in third grade. Oh, so there's a right way and a wrong way for me to write this story. Mm -hmm. They also also around the time that the peer, they start to be more aware of their peers and they're starting to pull away a little bit from their parent. And so now they're also very cognizant of, oh, why did you draw that that way? Elephants aren't blue. Like they start to be very cognizant of that. And mm-hmm. so they start to conform. They start to conform and it gets worse and worse, goes really haywire in middle school. And so by the time they get to ninth grade, lots of kids have had the curiosity pretty much beaten out of them. Totally so- squashed. Totally squashed. I watched it happen with my oldest grandson. He's going into grade 12 next year. When he was a toddler and preschooler, his curiosity was massive, like, you know, as is normal. We would go for walks every day. He would discover bugs and plants and berries and and birds and and little animals and insects. And he went into kindergarten and, you know, it depends on the kindergarten teacher. And unfortunately, this kindergarten teacher had them sitting down doing letters and numbers and he hated it. He just, he was a five-year-old boy and five-year-old boys, typically boys in particular, uh, it's not a sexist thing. It's just a physiological thing. They have the testosterone running through them. They need to be moving their bodies, right? And and mm-hmm. this teacher had him sitting down doing this 
And writing letters and numbers is fine motor activities, our smaller muscles, those develop sooner in girls, which is why we'll see girls sometimes more successful in school, especially in those early years. Anyway, you know, he got through that kindergarten year and I could see that beautiful light of creativity and and curiosity dimming. And he just can't wait to get done school, Mm -hmm. you know, and get out of there. And he does not want to go to university. Thanks for coming. And he's quite brilliant, you know, like he's quite got quite a brain, quite Mm -hmm. a mind. And it just saddens me so much because Mm -hmm. it's not just this one person that I know. I see it everywhere. Right. So, so I'm very glad to be having this conversation Mm -hmm. with you because it's, you know, most parents don't realize what's happening. And even in those earliest years of schooling, how it can be dimmed and dimmed and dimmed. Right. Right. Well, because they also think that their child needs to fit into some mold if they're going to be. And I get it. Parents are scared. We're scared. We want our child to be successful at the end of all this. We want them to be happy at the end of all this. And so what we think is, if they can conform, if they can fit the mold, if the teacher likes them, that's all going to lead to their success and their happiness. You know, unfortunately, um, that thinking is a little bit backward. And really what you want is a child who is resilient. You want a child who asks questions. You want a child who can advocate for themselves. Sometimes you want a child who's a little bit, you know, saucy, <laughs> you know, because that's maybe what the teacher needs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that to speak on that from personal experience, I have always felt insecure about I, I don't have a spiciness. I conform. If you tell me to do something, I want to make you happy and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And that mm-hmm. was part do as I say, no questions. And in classrooms, I've always, always, always had this problem where I know I need to ask a question. I know I want to ask a question, but I just can't think of a question. I'm like, she Mm. gave me the information and then somebody will go raise their hand and ask a question. I'm like, why couldn't I think of that? And, and so I definitely felt that firsthand squash of curiosity and how frustrating it was when I wanted to reach out and I wanted to be curious, but I just didn't know how. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not too late. It's never too late. You can always <laughs> develop your curiosity. You know, it's very easy to start with the question. I wonder what will happen if this is how a lot of I mean, it's how most great discoveries started, to be honest with you. But it can mm. also just, you know, I wonder what would happen if I mix these two colors together or I wonder what would happen if I didn't put rinse agent in my dishwasher. I wonder what would happen if, and then you do experiments and you find the answers and that's how you get back to, to curious creativity, you know? Um, and if, you know, if you're going to fight for any one thing for your child as they're moving towards school, I would say fight for their right to be curious. Mm-hmm. You know, don't ever let a teacher say, well, they asked me questions. They won't sit down. They asked me many questions. You need a different teacher in that mm-hmm. case. You might need yes. a different school, yes. you know, um, mm-hmm. please don't feel embarrassed about your child. Um, at, at that age, you're your child's only advocate, you know? Um, and so what they, you know, what they maybe need is a place where they have a little bit more freedom for a little longer time. Um, yes. So please, please, please be careful when you're choosing that first preschool. You want something that look for the words like open-ended, creative play, um, 
if they say we do a we do a letter a week run in the other direction, you know, um, find the school <laughs> where basically what they do all day is play um, and find the teachers who know then how to structure that. You know, I'm not saying that kids should never have to sit and wait. I'm not saying that at all. Those are also very important skills, but it's so much easier to sit and wait if your teacher is reading you a really, really interesting story mm-hmm. than to just sit and wait for no reason, you know, so I have a, yeah. I have a fun uh, example from when I was a preschool teacher, one of the things I like to do um, is is each week I would do a different shape out of different colors of paper. So one week I would do all blue, different shades of blue, and I would do circles and half circles. And the next week I would do all different shades in the reds and oranges. And I would do squares, big squares, little squares, you know, then I would do rectangles, then I would do triangles and each week and that's all that would be on the art table. And they would glue them together in however they wanted to glue them. And one day, this little girl were sitting there, we'd had our art, you know, that was just on the art table, you do what you want, if you want, doesn't matter. We had our whole morning and then it was snack time. And we were sitting at our snack tables. And this and it was circles. I was had the circles out that week and the half circles and this little girl sits down and on her lunchbox was her name printed. And she said, my name starts with a half circle and her name was Carmen and it started with a C. And that's what you had said earlier was that, um, you know, before we learn letters, it's the shapes and the symbols of learning letters and numbers that we have to start getting in our brain. Mm-hmm. And that was part of in the way back of my preschool mind was like, we'll give them shapes to play with mm-hmm. and yeah. and be curious about and stuff. Yeah. And out of all the children I've ever done that with, She's the only one that really put it together like that, right? Mm -hmm. And that was great. That was all that there was. It was like, yay, your name does start with, that's the letter (laughs) C is a half circle, you know, and, um, and the other ones who never, ever put it together as anything. Perfect. Yep. Right. Like it's all perfect. That's the thing about open-ended a play and, and interaction with those materials. Yeah, one child might see one thing, another child might see something, you know, totally, totally different, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, The the last thing I want to leave you with as a parent with young children is, you know, if you're going to ask for your child's help or participation in something, then you have to be willing to meet them where they are, not where you are. So, for instance, if you decide you want to take all your children out to a fancy restaurant, then you have to assume that they're maybe going to make some mistakes. You can't all of a sudden turn around and force them to sit totally still and know to put their napkin on their lap. Right. Um, You know, you have to analyze your kids and be like, yeah, they're not ready for that. Let's go to, you know, this more casual restaurant where if they're making noise, it's okay. Or if you're, um, you know, say you're making cookies or whatever for, for Christmas, you have to, if you ask them to help, you have to, be ready that some of your painted Christmas cookies are maybe going to be gray, you know, because they're mixing all the colors together. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they've actually proven this as an aside, but scientifically all people need to mix all the colors together to prove that it's going to be gray. You can tell them, (laughs) but until they do it themselves, they won't believe you. This is a fact. That's so so fun. 
Exactly. If they were never allowed to mix the colors, say when they were in preschool, they're going to do it somewhere. I had second or third graders when I would volunteer in my daughter's classrooms that it'd be like, I'd be like, oh, that's a great color. They're like, can I mix everything together? It makes gray. And I'm like, sure does. You know, <laughs> now, so I would never cool. say to them, oh, that's a, you know, but teachers do this. Oh, that's gray. Like, why are you qualifying oh it? Yeah, okay, you know, um, oh, you don't, the three -year -old. Oh, don't, mix, don't mix the colors. Don't mix the colors. You know, you have to the, assume they're going to. If you don't want them to the mix three year old the colors, that I just had in my care this whole year a mm -hmm. uh, couple of mornings a week every time he painted at the easel which he didn't do every day but it was always available to him every time he would do color on top of color on top of color on top of color that's all he did <laughs> <laughs> and I said wow look at those colors are really mixing together and he goes yep. I like mixing colors yep. <laughs> I was like I can see that you yeah. really do like mixing colors yeah, yeah. our so school cool. would kind of start with they would start with just red and then they would add yellow and red so you know if they mix yellow and red together they're going to get a pleasing color of orange. I mean, who's to say that gray? I wear gray all the time. Who's to say gray is not a pleasing color or mud? <laughs> but anyway, and there is systematically, but where I was going with that was, you know, if you feel like the cookies have to be perfect, then don't ask your child to help. Um, mm. Or if you feel like the cookies have to be perfect and your child paints some that are gray, you find the person to give those to that are going to appreciate that it's gray. Or, you know, if you're, if you want to send, a, a birthday card to grandma and you want your kids to draw a picture for that rather than saying we're going to draw a picture for grandma right now it would be better to just let them draw all week we're drawing ing words we're drawing open-ended activities are, are ing words we're drawing mm. and then at the end of the week you can say let's pick one for grandma right nice. now you're not like forcing them you know and even if it's too big or you know i always tell parents you can take that like I have one right here I don't know where it went but you can take that big huge you know uh unwieldy um painting that they just made okay so this is Amanda's right from now this is from years and years and years ago this is her painting I've kept so many of her works but you know you can choose maybe we just want to send grandma this little piece right here you mm -hmm. can cut this little piece out and you can paste it onto the front of a card and send it off to grandma and she'll be very happy and you'll be happier and your child will be happier and they will have learned something. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so meet them where they are. Always meet them where they are. Can you give us some more ING open-ended words? That was sure. really helpful. <laughs> Drawing, painting, building, investigating, sorting, um, looking, um, matching, um uh squishing like you know play-doh we're squishing we're gluing we're pasting we're cutting i mean you know any ing word so you know if you're worried about them wasting paper give them junk mail to cut cool you know because they just need all they're trying to do and you know when they realize they can cut now they're like "Ooh, i can do this so they're not thinking about i'm going to cut a perfect circle and glue it over here they're just cutting that's all they're mm -hmm. doing so give them junk mail envelopes whatever and just let them cut 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 you know i had um there was a child when my youngest was young and they would sit all day and cut sort of like fringe on the end of you know like they would make just a single cut then they move single cut single cut single cut so on the art table there was always all this fringe <laughs> lying around 
which then the teacher would collect some of it up and move it to the collage table. And then some kids would be like, Ooh, fringe. Well, I'm going to put that on my whatever, you know? Um, so, you know, Serena, um, Serena, I have a question for you uh, cause we'll need to close up fairly soon, but as a young mama, um, you wanted to know from Melissa, some ideas, specific ideas, right? Yes. My question was, what are some simple, easy to implement open-ended play activities that you can give us parents mm -hmm. to get us started on how to really do this? Because yep. sometimes like, even as we mentioned before, like we want to go to the park and then it's the park is the destination. We get frustrated when they're not heading towards the park and they're walking the opposite <laughs> way so just really... or they're stopping at every flower you know and i'd like to always remind people let the children lead if yes. they're stopping at every flower, you might get only a quarter of the way to the park today and that's perfect yes. right so, so with how... that idea mm -hmm. yes how, how can i know that what i'm offering them is really mm -hmm. open-ended play and process-oriented art great so I would get three bins. They can be those little shoebox size bins, or they could be a little bit bigger. In one of them, just put things that they can cut and scissors. I'm not sure how old they are, but cutting is always a good one. In another one. I just, let me interject that you can get child safety scissors, like yes, scissors yep. that are designed for toddlers and preschoolers. Yep. So, yep. And you can get left-handed ones and right-handed ones. And I actually like to have both if I'm giving them to very young preschoolers, two, three-year-olds, because mm -hmm. they're not yet certain what handed they are yet. Mm -hmm. right? You could also do tearing. If you don't want to have scissors, tearing is like developing these muscles here, also important. The oh, pincer right. grasp, the thumb to forefinger, these yes. muscles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. you have one bin, put in it things that they can cut or tear to their heart's desire. Um, then have another bin that has maybe some index cards in it and um, maybe tape um, or glue stick or glue if they're old enough to use those things. But tape is a great way to start because you have to tear the tape. Um, and so first, all they're doing is taping. So maybe they tape the cards together or maybe they tape shapes on the paper. Um, and then in the third one, maybe have um, some different colors of cards and some kind of coloring or writing implement. I really like crayons because you have to press hard to make a crayon make a good color, you know, so they can press light or press hard and get different. And so it develops those, that fine motor dexterity and all the muscles in the hands really, really well. Um, and so in here we're coloring, we're just coloring. They can color. You can even put some, um, like some junk mail, um, like catalogs and things in there. Those are also nice to have in the cutting bin. Like they'll start to turn the pages and cut out people or sh things they like or whatever, you know. Um, and at some point they're going to want to combine all of that. Now they're mm -hmm. making mixed media art, which is fine. Um, but those are things that you can just grab and throw in the car and take them. The other, I guess if I had a couple of extra bins, I would take pipe cleaners just a bin of pipe cleaners. Let me, you know, over the years, I've seen kids as young as two up to 22 make fabulous things out of pipe cleaners. Um, and the other one, I would maybe just put like cups and spoons and things that you can either dig or fill or stack, you know, particularly if you're going to, um, if you're going to, you know, 
to have like at the park, things that you can dig in the sand or whatever. So cutting, cutting and tearing, um, taping, coloring, um, bending, I guess, building, building with pipe cleaners, and then uh, we're digging. So those nice. are five great activities that are going to lead to lots of ancillary learning. Ancillary learning is learning that happens on the side. So rather than, <sighs> oh, we're going to like learn the colors of all the pipe cleaners, you can do things like, hey, can you hand me that orange pipe cleaner and see nice. if they know? And if they say which one is the orange one, then you show them. And eventually, so there's no judgment. Eventually, they will know which one the orange one is. You know, wow. yeah. and if you know, and the cool thing there, that's, I didn't know that word before. So thank you, ancillary. And if My you youngest. know, oh, hi. <laughs> Hello. So curious and creative, that one. <laughs> if you know um, that they know they're red and yes. they know they're blue, you could say, is this orange? And they mm -hmm. would say, no, that's red. Is yep. this orange? Oh, mama, that's blue. Right. Yep. And so then they then you can play a game with them and maybe yes. they'll. Yep. Yeah. The trick cool. is don't get stressed out if they don't know. If they don't know, they don't know. You just try it again a month from now. You know, that's amazing, Melissa. And it's it sounds so simple and it really is so simple. But for me, somebody that's been put in the box, whenever I think mm -hmm. of something I need yeah. to give to my kids, I'm like, all right, but what what project do we need to do? And then I, I get all in my head about it. And it's really mm -hmm. just simple let them yeah, well, learn yeah, and explore we, we the parents have gone through the system that yeah. squashed mm -hmm. our curiosity that squashed our creativity that mm. put us in the box and mm -hmm. so like you often say serena you're unlearning so mm -hmm. much of what it what your childhood was like what was done to you yeah, yeah. and the unlearning is like this opening up right right and then you get to become the curious parent like just give them the materials I love your boxes of stuff Melissa just give them one of those boxes and see what yep. they do and just yeah, sit back and, and observe yeah. <laughs> and participate it's so important that you participate when you sit in color with them or cut with them or whatever then they see that you value this as well and so then they're all about you know kids want to emulate us they want to be with us they want to join in you may find that in the beginning, they're going to say, well, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I making? And I would just say, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm just cutting right now. You know, so just kind of, I don't know, you know, and yeah. then at, at some point, something might, might develop on their own, you know, that they want I to would, do. It, you know? I would hasten to uh, recommend that parents in that case don't actually start making something exactly like yep. don't draw a person or make <laughs> a person out of the pipe cleaners mm -hmm. um, I've seen too many parents draw a stick figure if the child wants them to draw a person and then mm -hmm. the child doesn't feel safe going through the child developmental art stages right to draw the people the way a child draws a person if they've mm -hmm. been told that a person looks like a st stick person yeah yeah so stick really with instead stick with um the experience you're having what are yeah. you drawing i don't know but i really like the way this crayon feels on the paper um what are you nice. drawing i don't know but i really like when i draw with these two colors together um what are you drawing i don't know but 
this seems to make a really fuzzy line. Look, and if I press harder, look, it's darker. Just stick with the experience of what is happening. Experiential. And that also yeah. shows them that you're a lifelong learner as well. Oh, mama's learning what trans do. That's pretty cool. You know? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yay. So before we go, can I just ask you a few questions that we ask sure. all of our lovely guests that join us? Yeah. Okay. So number one is what's one thing that surprised you about becoming a parent? Oh, um, well, <laughs> all right. So the fact that I could have three daughters that were all born of the same two parents that are so radically different. <laughs> That's funny. We'll have you happened. back for a podcast about that another time. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you about the butter mints and the dribble castles. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Set us up for curiosity. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Number two is what does being a nurturing parent look like to you? Always meeting the child where they are. I love Attending to their needs first, meeting them where they are. I love Mm. that. I think what I most appreciated about that is saving ourselves from frustration and reacting to our kids because that's Mm -hmm. what happens when we don't meet our kids at where they are we get so frustrated and we blow up on them yep I mean it might mean you have to leave a full cart you know a full wagon of groceries at -hmm. some time because your child you push them you know it's always you because you're the adult you know you push them just a little bit too far and now they've totally lost their minds and there's no way you're going to get them back from this and it may mean you have to say I'm so very sorry but I need to take my child home right now. And I'm sorry, but I'm leaving this, these groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, and more often than not, people will understand, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't, then, you know, what do you care? You know, what's best for you. If child. they don't, they're not your people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think with that, sometimes we fear embarrassment and that's one of the sure. problems and yeah. just learning to let that go. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And lastly is where can our listeners find you and and hear more Mm -hmm. about what you have to offer yeah so um if you have show notes i sent my um i sent my whatever that's called where they can you know but um i guess the best way to find me yes my link tree thank you you can find me on facebook at m-o-r those are my initials m-o-r creates that's probably the best way to find me Okay, we'll put that in the show notes, too. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us. It was such a pleasure learning from you and listening to all the stories. I really, really, really appreciated it and learned so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, I could have this conversation for another hour. (laughs) I'm happy to come back. I know there's a lot to, you know, be very happy to come back. Yep. All right. All right, listeners, um, we are going to sign off with Melissa. But before we do, I like to say we love you. What I really appreciate about this conversation was that all of this is as easy as creating separate pants with just different colored pieces of paper, some scissors, some glue, tape, and you're all set. (laughs) So to share with you my gems from this episode, number one is a reminder that close-ended play can create a push and pull. When we're focused on the goal and our kids aren't getting there, it might lead us to frustration and outbursts. Open-ended play alleviates all of that. Number two is ING words are open-ended play. I love this because I could just check. (laughs) 
building, digging, sorting, gluing, pasting. That's all open-ended play. And if it's open-ended play, it's good for my kid. And that's all I want. (laughs) And then number three is, I think one of the most important things in implementing this is participate with them. Be there, show them that it's important, show them that it could be fun. Let them take the lead, let them guide the way. And then when you're talking to them, talk about what you're experiencing. Don't have any goal in mind, just go with the experience and communicate that to your kids while you're doing it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I loved Melissa. I loved all the information she shared. It's so beneficial. And like she said, this over the long haul is the best tool that we can use for our kids to be prepared for school. So good luck, mamas, and we'll see you next week.